If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 5. We finished two weeks ago the last of the Ten Commandments. And in verse 22, we read, These words the Lord spoke to all of your assembly. Notice from the time that God wrote with his finger on the first set of tablets, which Moses broke, through the second set of tablets that Moses had to cut out himself and carry up the mountain, until the time Moses is re iterating what the commandments are at the end of the 40 years, they have not changed. They have not changed. Notice it says, these words the Lord spoke. You remember what the word spoke means as opposed to the word the Lord said. The Lord spoke is strong emotion. He's pounding the podium. These are really important. And he spoke to whom? It says to the Jews in your midst, Right. No, it says to all of your assembly. Includes the, de the descendants of Israel and the great mixed multitude that are mixed in. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. This is very important because how many times have you heard, well, that's for them. <coughs> what does the Lord say? It's to whom? All of your assembly. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. I'm surprised how many times I talk to pastors who say, What mixed multitude? Exodus 12, verse 38. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. The mixed multitude was huge. How many people went down into Egypt from the children of Israel? Seventy. They come out 210 years later, about two million people. Did the women have 40,000 children apiece? Or is it that they're counting the great mixed multitude because they've been grafted in? Have you been saved by faith? You've been grafted in. God counts you. You're part of the assembly. Which book of the Bible tells us that in no uncertain terms? Can we say Ephesians chapter 2? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Do you remember? Let's go look. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just do the short version. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19. Well, verse 12 says, You used to be aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Verse 19 says what? Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. If you're no longer a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel, what are you? You're part of the commonwealth of Israel. Another way to say that is you're part of the children of Israel. And what's it mean you're no longer foreigners? Grafted in and participants in which covenants? All of them. 
All of the, in Ezekiel 47, does it say that the believing Gentiles in the kingdom can choose which of the 12 tribes of Israel they want to be grafted into where they want to live? Does it say that? I have one person saying it does, and the other's going, where's that? So let's go to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. I'd like for you to see it in your own Bibles so you know it's really there. Ezekiel 47, verses 21 to 23. Oops, I have read the letters out there already. Let's see. Oh, they're just saying Shabbat Shalom, everybody. So Shabbat Shalom to y'all too. Ezekiel 47, beginning of verse 21. Thus you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. That's how they divided the land in the first place. It shall be that you will divide it by lot. If it's by lot, who gets to decide which tribe gets which land? God does, that's right. As an inheritance for yourselves and for the what? The strangers who dwell amongst you and who bear children amongst you. They shall be to you as native born among the children of Israel, meaning what? Do they have different laws, different customs? Different way? No. One shepherd, one flock. John 10. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. An inheritance means a possession forever. And it shall be that in whatever tribe the stranger dwells, there you shall give him his inheritance, says the Lord God. That's the same thing that happened when a mixed multitude came out of Egypt with the physical descendants of Israel. They were grafted into whichever tribe they chose to be a part of. Be it Judah, be it Levi, whichever tribe they chose to be a part of, they became permanent members of that tribe. Is that the same today? Is that the same today? The answer to that is yes. That's what Ezekiel 47 is all about. So let's look also at the book of Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15. Was there a lamb side of the camp and a ham side of the camp? You guys know the answer to that is? No. no. Numbers chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. It says, One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, the one that's been grafted in. An ordinance forever throughout your generations. What does that mean? For a little while? It means without end. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law, one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. Let's look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Lest somebody say, Wayne, that's just Old Testament. It doesn't apply anymore. Well, let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Do the commandments vary based upon whether you were born Jewish or not? Let's read it. Verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what? What matters? Sounds a lot like Ecclesiastical 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, right? Where Solomon writes, Fear God and keep his commandments for this is what? 
This is man's all. Let's look also at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. When we get saved, do we keep living like Gentiles? Well, if we're not to keep living like Gentiles, how are we supposed to live? Like Jews. <laughs> like Jews mean in accordance with God's commandments, right? Verse 14, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So how are we supposed to walk? Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Do we continue in our old sins? No. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in what? True righteousness and holiness. Without holiness, comma, Hebrews 12, 14 says, no one will see the Lord. And righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So why didn't it just say in righteousness and holiness? Why did they put in the word true? Have you thought about that? What is true righteousness? There is a self-righteousness which comes from you. But true righteousness comes from God, from the Lord. You're right, you're right. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. We're on a roll. We're halfway through a verse. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountains from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, and a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Oh my goodness, look at that. And he added no more. That means there's only ten commandments, there's no more. Is that what it means? No. Let's digress for just a moment and go back to Exodus chapter 20 and see what happened. Why didn't he give us number 11? We'll find out. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Notice verse 17 is number 10. Verse 18 says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings. What's that word in Hebrew? Kolot. It means voices. The lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. So it wasn't that there's not a number 11 is that the people said we're going to die of fright if he speaks another word. So Moses, let him talk to you, and you talk to us, and we will hear it. How do we know God was okay with that? What's that? Because he did it. Because he did it. And let's go to Deuteronomy 18. What verse was that? Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 19. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Where in the scriptures do we find that's Messiah? 
Remember in Matthew chapter 17 when the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, comma, what? Hear him. It says, According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. God bless you. So nowhere in the scriptures in the Old Testament are those two tablets called the tablets of the Ten Commandments. They're called two different things. They're called the tablets of the testimony because everybody heard these with their own ears. What else are they called? The tablets of the Ten Words. Why is that important? The Ten Words. Remember Psalm 89.34, My covenant I will not break nor alter the what? The word that has gone out of my mouth. What does God mean by the word? Will God change a commandment? Just ask the prophet in 1 Kings 13. He thought God would change a commandment and God fed him to a lion. So every time you say to somebody, I'm not sure God's commandments still apply, Look for the lion, just in case he's hanging around. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. If you look at the Hebrew carefully, and it means what it says literally, when God wrote the letters on the stone, they burned all the way through the stone, where you could see through from the front and from the back. If God just scratched a little bit on the surface, what would happen over time? It could wear off, right? As stones weather, the letters could become unreadable. What if they're carved all the way through the stone? Then even the weather is not going to remove those words from the stone. Verse 23, so it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness. What's the significance of that word darkness? Do you know what it is in Hebrew? It's choshek. Everybody say that, choshek, just because it's fun. (laughs) Same word as in Genesis chapter 1, when the world was in darkness. The darkness where God spoke and the world came into being. That's the same conditions in which God speaks. It's like he's trying to bring a people into the knowledge of the grace and mercy of Almighty God because that's exactly what he's doing. Verse 23, So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said... Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. In other words, he's proved it to us, right? And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. I'm sorry, I'm kind of tearing up. Did each and every person there believe that there was a God in heaven. 
Did they? Yes. They heard his voice. They saw the, the smoke. They saw the fire. They saw the mountain rumble. But the fact that they believed there was a God, was that sufficient? No, because turn to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to make a distinction that I think it's too often overlooked. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. For who, having heard, having heard what? Having heard his own voice, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? It was all except Caleb and Joshua. Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Because of a lack of faith. Wait a minute, we just said every single person knew beyond a shadow of a doubt there was a God in heaven. Is that the same as having believed God and God accounted him for righteousness? Is it sufficient to believe that there is a God? What does it say in the book of James? Even the demons believe that there's one God. There's a difference between believing there is a God and believing in God. Again, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and Abram believed God. The word believed there is amin in Hebrew, from which we get the word amen. It means he heard the words of God and believed them. He took it to heart. He put them into practice. What if he had said, yeah, that sounds good, Lord, but I'm not interested. He knows there's a God, but is that faith, is that belief? Is it sufficient to believe there is a God? No, it is not. And that's the point I want to drive home here from Deuteronomy 5 in these particular verses. Go back to Deuteronomy 5, verse 24. And you said, not I said, you said, the people Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. We have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. How can they hear that and still say, but who's he to tell me what to do? I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. He says, we've seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Let's go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 20. Exodus 33, verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it keeps emphasizing, you heard his voice but you saw no form. Now take this, wrap it into a ball, and go to Matthew chapter 7. (coughs) 
in verse 21. You know where I'm going. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. All these that thought they were on the road to heaven, but they're on the broad road to destruction, did they know there was a God? Yes. Did they know there was a Lord? Did they know Messiah died, was buried, and rose again? Then why does he say they won't enter the kingdom of heaven? Isn't that what we've been told? All you need to do is confess that, hey, there's a Lord out there. So what's the problem? Verse 23, and then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They know there's a God. They know the Lord is out there. They know the Lord died for sinners. And yet they say, yeah, but so what? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live life my way. Is that not what the children of Israel did at Mount Sinai? We've seen the fire. We've seen the smoke. We've heard the voice of God with our ears, but we're not going to do it anyway. Is that a problem? It's a problem. Could they still have been entertaining the gods of Egypt in their hearts? Certainly they could have, because they built the golden calf while Moses was up on Mount Sinai. Which means even though they understood God and, and saw his great power, they still were thinking, Exactly. We've got gods that we've seen, that we can touch, that we can carry with us, that we can buy for money and put in our pocket. And they let us do stuff that this one says don't do. And they let us do stuff we want to do. That this God says no. So give verse 25. Now therefore, why should we die? This is why they ask Moses, let the Lord tell the rest to you. They're afraid that if they continue to hear the voice of God, they're simply going to die. But that's not what God said. It's not what God said. But it shows what? They're afraid. They're afraid. It's not an awe or reverence born of faith. It's fear of punishment. They're afraid. It says, for this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. They know that God has the power of life and death. That's why they don't want to hear his voice anymore. But they're making that up. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. It's their own fear. You're absolutely right. It's their own fear. Actually, when hmm. you're in the presence of a holy God, uh, you're probably going to show fear. Yeah. yeah. I assure you if I was in the presence of the Holy God at Mount Sinai, I would have been afraid. But I would hope it would have been a fear born out of reverence and awe. But these people, I mean, obviously, if you've got sin in your heart, aren't you afraid you're fixing to die? I mean, yeah. I mean, really think about it. It's, they did wrong, and they were presented with an opportunity that was golden. Yeah. They know they're doing wrong, don't they? Yeah. Do they want to change? No. no. They want to have God while continuing in their sin. Yes. Yes. Does that sound like yes. anything yes. today? Yeah, exactly. So verse 26. For because who is there of all flesh 
who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and have lived. Moses has. Just Moses. <laughs> Only Moses. And Moses came down from the mountain just fine, didn't he? Yeah. Enoch walked with God. And God yep, Enoch walked with God. But the point is, they are afraid. They would not be afraid if they did not believe there was really a God up there, would they? They truly believe there's a God. So why does Hebrews say they lack faith? How does God judge our faith? By whether we tremble? No, our actions. Or whether we do what he says? Well, actually, the, the vast majority of the church trembles at the God of the Old Testament who is vengeful and angry and waiting to get you, but they love the God of the New Testament who is all loving and forgiving and sweet. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that whole attitude still goes on today. Yeah. Now go to Romans chapter 10. Because you're right, Dr. Bob, you're right. If we could just get them to fix some of the translations in the Bible. Everybody knows Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at the word Lord. Does it look like an adjective or a title describing Yeshua? But the Greek says that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua. The Lord referring to the Tetragrammaton, which appears in the Old Testament from the beginning to the end. He is not different from the Lord in the Old Testament. He is the Lord in the Old Testament. So why did the Catholic Church create a doctrine of the triunity? To separate the two. If you believe in the Trinity... If you believe in the Trinity, which is what the Catholics call their doctrine, the Trinity, then Yeshua is not the Lord. They're two distinct and different gods. Why did they do that? What does the Bible say? If you confess with your mouth that the Lord is Yeshua, and the doctrine of the Trinity says, no, he's not. Those are separate and distinct. Don't confuse the two. The Lord was the mean old God of the Old Testament. Yeshua is this nice new, nice God. Yes, ma'am. Well, I always learned that the Trinity, they were one, all in one. Yep, the doctrine of the Trinity says they are three, co-equal, co-existent. Which means they're three separate beings, three separate entities. But three in one. Yeah, that's where they kind of confuse the issue. If they are three co-equal, co-existent persons, separate persons, then what do they mean by their one? Well, they could never explain that. Yeah, they mean that there's three separate gods standing around a campfire, arguing over how things should be done. Does that, what does that do to Romans 10 verse 9? It makes the Lord an adjective. And Lord means master, the one we serve. And of course, then they teach, but you don't follow his commandments. You follow the Pope's commandments. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, at any rate, back to Deuteronomy, because I digress. What does that say? Oh, boy. Verse 26. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God? When did that take place in Exodus chapter 20? And what happens in chapter 32? Exodus chapter 32 is the golden camp. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 32. You think things were getting out of hand? Do you think that's what happened? Aaron wanted to unite them or something like that? No, I don't think Aaron wanted to do anything more than to placate and please them. Because mm -hmm. doesn't it say something like, Oh, they're really twisting Aaron's arm. Look at verse 1 of chapter 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of them. It says the people gathered together to Aaron. Makes it sound like what? They come as a whole as a mob and say, do this or else. But look at verse 8. This is why I wanted to come here. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. How quickly have they gone from this is the true and living God to this piece of metal is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27. You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. They said, what? We will hear and do it. That's about the time they're starting to say, let's get our gold together and make a calf. Huh. They demonstrate great faith, then turn away. Because their faith did not continue. Let's look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. How many of you listened to Daniel teach over the last three nights? How many times were those verbs, participles, continuing action? It's not that you had faith once upon a time. It's not that you walked down an aisle and made a profession of faith and then walked away. Did you continue in your faith? Acts chapter 14, verse 22. We'll start in 21, so I know I'll start in the middle of a sentence. When he had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, what are disciples? 
students. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to what? Continue in the faith. And saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Why does Satan send tribulations? What does he want people to do? To give up, to abandon their faith, to turn away. Remember Messiah talked about there's four kinds of hearts, like four kinds of ground. On some of those, the seed took root and sprang up immediately. The people accepted the gospel. They were joyful until what? Until tribulation came. And then they turned away. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. I got a red number out here. Let's see what it is. True, Cassandra, true. Okay, Colossians 1, starting in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. What's another term for wicked works? Lawlessness. Lawlessness, sin. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if. What a powerful little word. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Go back to verse 22. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if. Indeed, you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. What if the if fails? I walked with the Lord for ten years. I worshipped, I sang, I, I, went, I worshipped him every week. And then I said, ah, but he hasn't come yet. Maybe it was just fairy tales. So I'm going to go do what I want to do. Is he going to present me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight? Not according to this. We must not give up. We must not lose our faith. We must not turn back away. What did Daniel read last night? If you turn away from God... He said it would have been better if you'd never known the way of faith in the first place. Because how do you stand before a true and living God on judgment day and say, yes, I knew you were real. I knew what you said to do. I just didn't give a flip. How's that going to go? Not so good, huh? Not so good. So let's go back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, we're up to verse 29. 
This is the Lord speaking. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. What is the Lord saying? When they turn away from me, is it going to go well with them? They're going to go into captivity. They're going to suffer God's wrath, his judgment. God says, that's not what I want. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and, what's that next word? Always keep what? All. All my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Can't we just pick and choose the commandments we like? If we do, that's called, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. I'll follow the commandments I think I should, and the rest, eh, who cares? Hmm. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 6. Not 1 Kings 13, that's about the lion. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 12. Verse 11 tells us who are these words spoken by? This is the word of the Lord that came to Solomon saying. What's the word saying? A quote. Here are the words. Concerning this temple which you are building. What's that next word? If. You walk in my statutes. Execute my judgments. Keep all my commandments and walk in them. Then I'll perform my word with you which I spoke to your father David. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. If they had walked in accordance with God's commandments, would they ever have gone into captivity? No. Would Jerusalem ever have been destroyed? No. Would the Lord ever have departed from that first temple? No. Knowing all this, they went astray anyway knowing what beautiful promises there were, they walked away. Is the sins of the world really that much fun that you're willing to give up eternity with the Lord in the new Jerusalem and burn forever in the lake of fire? If you think so, do this when you get home, and don't do it really, don't sue me. But in your mind, go home and light a candle and stick your hand in the flame and keep it there until you decide that walking in sin is stupid. Then you can take it out. Okay. One day somebody's really going to do it and sue me. I burnt myself. Well, duh. First Kings chapter 9. First Kings chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. After promising to establish the throne of David forever and ever. It says in 1 Kings chapter 9 verses 6 through 9. But if you were your sons 
at all turn from following me. And do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. And what did Solomon do? Built other gods and went and worshiped them. Thou cut off Israel from the land which I've given them. That's captivity. Did they go into captivity? They did. In this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. That's the temple. Did God have the temple destroyed? He did. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? How many of you have been to Israel? Have you been on the Temple Mount? Do you see any remnant of the temple? Not a bit, not a stone. The Lord said, if Israel had not turned away, that temple would still be standing. Verse 9, then they will answer because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. <clears throat> According to the scripture, who is your Lord? Who is your master? Second, well, the one you serve. The one you serve. That's Romans 6.16, right? The one you serve. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God said, don't. Satan did. said, do. And what did they do? They followed Satan, not God. That caused the fall of the world. Does it matter who you follow if it's not God? The answer to that is no. Ultimately, it will be Satan. Ultimately, Satan's behind whoever's trying to get you not to follow God, right? That's the mystery of lawlessness of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's continue in Kings. Go to Second Kings chapter 17. We were warned generation after generation of the consequences of turning away from the Lord. And we did it anyway. 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 13. Verse 12 says, yet they served idols. Verse 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer saying, this says that every prophet God sent said this message, turn, what's that word turn? It's a command form, it's shuvu, it means repent, turn back to God. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law, the Torah, which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear. I hear so many people today say, I am a prophet of God. If they are, then they're preaching repentance. If they're not preaching repentance, then I'm not so sure. He says, every prophet, every seer had the same message, repent. And it's not a suggestion, that's a command, shuvu. 
Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the Torah, all the law, which I commanded your fathers. So every pastor who fulfills a pulpit, do you realize they're also called a prophet? Because a prophet is not just one who foretells the future, it's one who speaks forth the words of God. So every preacher should call the congregation to repentance. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 1. The last verse of chapter 26 says that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God. So verse 1 of chapter 27 says, Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. Does that sound like a useful suggestion? Or is this a commandment? Is this on the authority of God? Because what does Moses say? I've said before you today, life and death, choose which? Life. Does God care which choice we make? The answer is absolutely. Does he force us to make the right choice? No, he does not. Why doesn't he? I've had so many people say, why doesn't God just make me? Be good. Because then he would be uh, going back. Because then he'd be going back? On his word. He, on his he word. He made man in his image. He made man in his image and gave us what? Free choice, free, free will. He, he has as much free choice as we do, if not more, because he could go back and destroy everything and just say, you know, that's enough. But he does because he lives. He, mm -hmm. We are his creation. We are his people, sheep of his pasture. Yep. And mm -hmm. he wants to nourish us, to see us flourish. He sure does. And he provides all the means necessary if we just do it. Yep. How many of you have ever had a pet? Did you like a pet that would run up and jump in your lap and love you and rub its head on your cheek? Or one that you come home and he bites you every time? <laughs> My wife's father had a dog, little wiry mutt, and every time I came over, that dog bit me, every time. And then she'd say, oh, I recognize that taste. Would you pet me, please? And it's like, go away, dog. <laughs> Just like we want a pet, and we're not pets to God, but you see the analogy. You want a pet that loves you, not one that hates you. God wants children who love him not those who hate him. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I mentioned a few minutes ago, but we didn't turn to it. Ecclesiastes. Wayne, doesn't it also solve the angelic conflict? Does it also solve the angelic conflict? Describe that a little more. Just the fact that we have free will. That we have, the angels have free will too. The angels had free will too. And a third of the angels chose to rebel against God. So why don't they repent and come back to God? The answer is they can't die. 
they can't die. The wages of sin is death, they can't die. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole matter is, Solomon says, all through my life I tried to find the meaning of life. It wasn't in wealth, it wasn't in money, it wasn't in wise, boy I had plenty of them. Where do you find the meaning of life? How many times have you said, why am I here? Why did God create me? What's the purpose of life? Chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring what? Every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And oh? That word keep have. It's more than just hanging on to it. It's, it's to guard it. It's to, you know, you got, you got to guard it and not only that, but express it to those around you. Yep. Guard it, protect it, treat it as valuable. But there is a judgment day coming. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Peter wants us to know, as I get up this morning and decide, will I serve the Lord today or not? He wants me to remember that judgment day is coming. Look at verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing or not wanting that any should perish, but that all sh should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, because judgment day is coming, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in what? Holy conduct and godliness. Don't really put up your hands. But how many of you, when you think about Judgment Day, wish you had not committed some of the sins you've committed in the past? Don't put up your hands. But don't you wish you had known then what you know now? And had made some better choices. Me too. But those sins are forgiven if we've repented. And he's washed them away, hasn't he? We're not going to be judged for our sins at that point. Those before you got saved, I'll agree. Those after you got saved, 1 Corinthians says, we're going to be judged on those. Not for salvation, but for rewards. Do you, will you receive a reward for the okay. sins that have been forgiven? This I have to cling on to though Wayne because I'm not perfect. None of us are. I don't even know it but I trust in God that he is faithful and he is faithful. Do promise now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Yeah. That's my hope and right. to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Right. That's my hope right there that God I agree. is going to keep me mm -hmm. that he's going to hold me. 
Yeah. So but don't you wish that you had known in your younger days some of these things and might not have committed some of those sins? I do. Along, along that same thought, the last word in verse 11, godliness, is spelled with a small g. I think because we can, we can walk this path that Yeshua has set out for us, and we're gonna, we, we will uh, make mistakes because we're not a capital G God. You know, we're, we're, we don't have that capacity. We, if we keep our eyes on Him, you know, and, and then walk circumspectly looking around us for trips and snares and, and, <clears throat> and misrepresentations, then we won't stumble bad. Yep. But my point is, we can't change the past. We can only change from today future. How should we walk? Keeping an eye on the fact that Judgment Day is coming. Okay, let's go back to Deuteronomy. We're up to verse 30. Go and say to them, return to your tents. Why? Why? Because God's going to tell the rest to Moses, and Moses is going to pass it on. So they don't need to continue standing at the foot of Mount Sinai listening for the voice of God. They ask him not to speak anymore directly to them. He will not speak anymore directly to them. So verse 31 says, But as for you, you Moses, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them. Oh, are there more than ten? It says right here, that he's going to teach Moses the rest. And what did the people ask then for Moses to do? To teach them. And they said they would hear and do it. That's in verse 27. So verse 31. But as for you, that is you Moses, stand here by me. And I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them. How can you prove to me that that's more than the Ten Commandments? The ones that Yeshua gave, which are the most important in the Torah, and the two he gives are not even in the ten. But from this verse right here, do any of the ten commandments contain the judgments? The answer is no. Do they contain the statutes? The answer is no. So you can tell from this verse that the ten commandments is not a complete listing. And then it says, which you shall teach them. Them who? The people who said, you tell the rest of Moses, and we will hear and obey. And the next word, that, here's why you teach them. That they may observe them in the land which I'm giving them to possess. Teach them that they may observe them. That they may keep them. That they may do them. Go to Matthew 28. Why do we teach commandments? That people may ignore them? Look at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying... Uh-oh, I got two red numbers out here. Are we behind? 
Oh, just the comments are just that, that, yep, even though we do our best, we still stumble and fall sometimes. What does the scripture say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Question. Question. Since we're on the topic, have you ever yourself... Have I ever myself... Taught a series like we did on Deuteronomy? Taught a series like on Deuteronomy? On the commandments of God. On the commandments of God. Yes? Is that in your list of stuff in our that we can go on our website? No. You, I know you've scattered it. That it's all throughout. Great, that'd be a really great study. I've never heard anyone teach the commandments of God. Yep, I did that once, but it wasn't recorded. So we may have to do it again. Okay. Thank you. Yep. He means to filter out all the other stuff in Deuteronomy and just give us the list. Okay. So Matthew 28, Yeshua came and spoke to them saying, what's that word saying? It's a quote. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. Disciples are students. Talmudim in Hebrew. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teaching them what? To actually do them. When it says of all the nations, what's that word nations? It's Gentiles. So Messiah says, go teach the Gentiles who did not have the commandments of God before so that they can do them. So they can observe some of the things, does it say? It says all things that I've commanded you. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. In verse 32. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. What's something that our English does not do that the Hebrew does? That you... Is that talking to Moses or is it talking to the group? Is it singular or plural? Hebrew has four different forms of you. So you know if it's masculine, feminine, singular or plural. This is plural. This is to all the people. So you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. What does it mean if we don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left? What are we walking? Straight and narrow path. We're walking the Lord's way. If we turn to the right hand or to the left, we get off the path and we're doing what? Each man did what was right in his own eyes. We're doing it our way. Like sheep. Like sheep. Go to... Sheep are dumb. Are you calling us dumb? Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 7, well, the Lord calls us sheep all the time. Think about it. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 9 through 12. 9 through 12. You shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. 
You shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. That's the same thing as saying the wages of sin is death. The Lord says, if you don't want to live according to my way, you don't have to. Just leave. Go out and live with the Gentiles. Worship all the pagan gods you want. And enjoy the smoking section throughout eternity. God will not twist your arm and make you behave. Go to the book of Joshua. As they enter the land, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. This is Joshua's farewell address. Joshua has led the nation since the death of Moses. He's brought them into the promised land. He's helped them subdue the land to claim it, make it theirs. He says in Joshua chapter 23, verse 6, Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. So this is the charge of Joshua before he dies, is stay on the Lord's path. The Lord's path is right. Don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Yeah, Susie, just ignore that part. Talking about something in the first fruits of Zion. That they use these verses to say, see, you need to follow wherever the Jewish leadership leads you. What did Messiah say in Matthew 15 and Mark 7? If they're leading you in God's way, listen. That's in Matthew 23 too. But if they're leading you off the path, let them go by themselves. Also, 2 Kings chapter 22. 1st Roots of Zion used to be right on. But eventually they went off the path, so be careful. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Ever hear of King Josiah? King Josiah. Hmm. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2, the Lord told us, Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David. And what do you know? Here he is. God got another one right. But in 2 Kings 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkat. 
And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. How would you like that to be what God says about you come judgment day? Wow, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Let's add to that Deuteronomy 12.32, which means essentially the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Don't add to it or take away. One is to turn to the left, the other is to turn to the right. Either one takes you off the path. That's a danger in trying to explain God's word sometimes. Because in trying to explain it, we embellish it. We do something to try to get people to understand. And in the process, we actually can, can take it. Yep, we have to be careful that we do not add to or take away from it in our explanation and try and make it more clear. It's like doing a study for a teaching and you have a preconceived notion of where you're going and finding out when you're almost through with your study that something contradicts the direction you're going. Yeah, true enough. So, choose Matthew 15 or Mark 7. Which one do you want? Mark 7. Mark 7. Okay, Mark 7. This is the way the Lord describes it when you choose to add to and take away from the Lord's commandments. That is, they turn to the right and to the left. Verse 6. Yeah. Certain said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, when they lay aside the commandments of God, that's taken away from, Right? When they add the man-made rules and regulations, that's adding two. They have veered to the left and to the right. And what does the Lord say? That this is good? And in vain they worship me. When you turn aside, either to the left or to the right from the Lord's commandments, you get off the path. You get off the path of righteousness. And the Lord is pleased or not pleased? Not pleased. Uh, Matthew 15 15 says the same thing, the same words. Yes, ma'am. So, this is sort of a question that might require some speculation. Sort of a question that might require some speculation. So, in the days of Yeshua. So, in the days of Yeshua. uh, I think my understanding is most people did not read. uh, Your understanding is most people did not read. They didn't have a copy of the scriptures like we do. They didn't have a copy of the scriptures like we do. That's right. In fact, not every synagogue had a copy. So how were they to distinguish the commandments of men from the commandments of God? How were they to distinguish? The Pharisees and the scribes were the teachers. Yeah. They were teaching wrong. How would they distinguish? If the Pharisees and the scribes were the teachers and they're teaching wrong, go to Matthew 23. It's a really good question. You and I have a copy of the Bible at home. How many have 17 or 18? 30 or 40? They didn't have one. 
back in Messiah's day. But in Matthew 23, verse 1, it says, And Yeshua spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses' seat is the description of they are reading from the Torah. When they're reading from the Torah, therefore whatever they tell you to observe as they're reading from the Torah, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, meaning according to their man-made rules and regulations, for they say and do not do. If they're reading from the Torah scroll, which they did every Shabbat, listen to that, do that. When they add to it, stop listening. And they would be able to distinguish. Sure. They would be able to distinguish. Okay, back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 5, verse 33. You shall walk in what? All the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. That means here's the benefit, here's the promise. That you may live. Is that just life in this world? No. That you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Walk in the ways of the Lord. In John 14, 6, we learn something about the way. John 14, 6. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now in Psalm 119, it says the Torah is truth. It also says the entirety of your word is truth. And here it says Messiah is truth, which is right. Answers all of them. Messiah is the word of God incarnate. He is the Torah in human form. If you walk the way Messiah walks, you will not get off the path. What's he mean in the life? Is there any path to eternal life that doesn't require going through Messiah? The answer is no. That's John 17.3. John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. And where in the scripture does it tell you how to judge whether or not you truly know him? Where is the test of knowing him? That's 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In many Bibles, including those online, this section is titled, The Test of Knowing Him. It says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. He says that no one does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So what should our goal be? To see how many commandments we can break? Of course not. Turn back to the book of Matthew. Yes ma'am. I just read 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. 
Go back to the book of Matthew. I like the words that are in red. I hope you do too. Go to Matthew 4.4. 4. Messiah quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. If the Lord tarries, we may get to chapter 8 eventually. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's commandments, he calls his what? His words. Every time you see in scripture, and the word of the Lord came to me, comma, saying, where did those words come from? From the mouth of God. But Wayne Paul said, okay, okay, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verses 9 through 11. Then Shaul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the what? The straight ways of the Lord. Why does the devil want to pervert the straight ways of the Lord? Does not the devil love each and every one of us? He wants only the best. No, he wants you to burn eternally. He thinks that's a hoot. Verse 7 says, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. The point being, the man was not seeking the straight ways of the Lord. So the Lord struck him blind and said, now find your way. What does the book of Acts say about the way Paul viewed the law? He observed it. Acts chapter 24, verse 14. The scripture records it. Paul is giving his confession of faith. Verse 14, but this I confess to you that according to the way, according to Acts 9, the believers were first called the way in Hebrew, Hadere, because Messiah said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, which they call a sect, meaning it was just another sect of Judaism. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. What portion of the Torah did Paul believe and teach? All of it. But doesn't our faith make the law void? Nope. It establishes it. It establishes it. That's Romans 3, verse 31, isn't it? Verse 331, do we then make void the law through faith? Answer, majinoito. There's that phrase again. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. 
Does that mean faith and law are compatible? Absolutely. In fact, you can't have faith without the law. How did God say, now I know, to Abraham, now I know that you fear God? When was that? Genesis 15 is where he gave his, his confession of faith, and it says, and Abraham believed God, and God accounted him for righteousness. But look at Genesis 22. After that, the Lord said, take your son, your only son, and go up to the mountain of which I tell you, Mount Moriah, that's the temple mount. In verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So how did God test Abraham's words? He looked at his works. What if when God had said, Abram, take your son, your only son, and go to Mount Moriah, and Abraham said, ain't doing that, Lord, uh-uh. Uh-uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been quite the same, would it? So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Oh boy, look at that. Now this is the commandment. This re requires an antecedent. The antecedent is in the verse before it, Deuteronomy 5.33. You shall walk in what? All the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. Verse 1 of chapter 6, now this is the commandment. The commandment is to walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. That makes the law a unity. It's not three different types of law and you can follow one and ignore two. You've heard that teaching, I'm sure all of you. There's moral law that still applies, but the civil and ceremonial, they don't. Where's that in the scripture? It's nowhere. Now this is the commandment. It consists of all the commandments, statutes, and judgments. It says, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. Notice he didn't put a period after it says which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, period. What does the word that mean? Here's the reason that you're being taught, that you may observe them. Does to observe them mean to look at them on occasion? Or does it mean to do them, to put them into practice? Yes, of course, it means to put them into practice. Uh-oh. See that word to possess? means to inherit, as in to possess forever. To pass from generation to generation. To be inalienable. Verse 2, that. There's another that. Not just that you may observe them, but that you may fear the Lord your God. To keep all his statutes and his, his commandments which I command you. 
that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments. How do you demonstrate the fear of the Lord? Is it by shaking in your boots? No. It's by being obedient. Which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. Which is kind of funny because there is no biblical Hebrew word for grandson. So it says, you and your son and your son's son. All the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. You know what that means, all the days of your life? In this world and the next. In this world and the next. But it means not just once upon a time, but continuing action. And that word keep... In verse 2, is of course from the verb shamar, which is to guard, to protect, to treat as valuable to you. Something that you would fight and not let it be taken from you. Hmm. Why did God fear that it wouldn't pass from one generation to another? Is it because he knows the future and knows they weren't going to teach the children? That's why Judah especially would be upright for a generation, fall away for a generation because they forgot to teach the children. So when they came out of the Babylonian captivity, that's when they established synagogues. Did you know synagogues didn't exist before that? It was so that you could go to the synagogue and hear the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God read. So that even if your parents did not teach you, you have reason to know. And they thought, if we teach every generation and make sure they get taught, then we'll never turn away from God again. How did that work out? Yeah, not so well, huh? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Because it's the first time I can think of in a scripture where it uses the phrase, all the days of your life. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Have any of you ever seen a snake? How many legs do they have? Now, it's been 6,000 years, and they're still crawling on their belly. When God says all the days of your life, it doesn't end. All the days of your life. One of the neatest things that we saw at the conference, in addition to Dennis Peterson's talks, we went to the Creation Museum. And outside of the Creation Museum, they have a tall structure with all the different layers from the different geological eras, if you will. And in the middle of it, this is honest to goodness from nature, is a tree. So as the 
evolutionists would say it took billions of years for all these layers to grow up. They're growing up surrounding a single living tree. Did it take billions of years? It did not. Okay. Verse 17 of Genesis 3. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and told you shall eat it all the days of your life. How many of you out there have grown a garden? Did you just throw out seeds and the vegetables sprouted up and there was just harvest aplenty? You know what? It's still hard work. 6,000 years later. All the days of your life means it's still going on. Go to Joshua chapter 1. I thought that meant this life and the life to come also. Generally, it does. So here it doesn't. But here, the curse is going to be removed eventually. Yep. Had God not removed it, it would never have ended. Well, before we go to Joshua, let's go to Deuteronomy 4. I'll take you in a more direct route instead of going all around. It's easier for some people to find their way that way. But Wayne, we've already read Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take heed to yourself that you diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from the heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Those that are for all the days of your life, can they have ended? The answer is no. Look at Deuteronomy 16.3. Deuteronomy 16.3. Honestly, people, would you trust a God who changed his mind every time he turned around? He doesn't know what he wants, but he's going to judge you at the end of time to see if you gave it to him or not. How many of you have the same dream I do? That it's time for the final exam and you realize you didn't go to class. <laughs> you didn't read the textbook. Here's the textbook that we study for our final exam. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Why does God want us to never forget our coming out of Egypt? Wasn't it that, oh, I don't know, Pharaoh got tired of us one day and said, oh, y'all just go home? <laughs> or did God have to bring ten plagues? Mm -hmm. Then he had to split the Red Sea. Then he destroyed the Egyptian army. Then he fed us in the wilderness with manna, watered us from the rock, cared for us year by year, day by day. Even the clothes and shoes did not wear out. Why does God want us to remember that all the days of our life? So that we know that there is a true and living God. 
And God cares for us. He cares for us. What is that verse in Hebrews? Let's turn up to Hebrews. To chapter 11. Never forget Hebrews 12, 14, that without holiness no one will see the Lord. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For, what's that word for mean? Because. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Is there a period? No. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Emphasis on diligently, he thinks, and I agree. Now let's go to Joshua. 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 Chapter 1, verse 5. I see I have a red number out here. Let's see. Aha. Uh-huh. I agree, Michael. Okay. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. If you are not standing with God who moved, you did. Lastly on this topic, Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Verse 5. May the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. If Israel had not turned away from God, they would have seen the good of Jerusalem all the days of their lives. So when it says the Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see, it's an imprecation, it's a hope. That we will walk uprightly before God and never see Jerusalem destroyed. Back to chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. That always did sound kind of funny to me. Who wants a land where the rivers, one's milk and one's honey? But that's not what it means. A land flowing with milk and honey means a land that's good for agriculture. Agriculture. 
How many of you like to eat just every day? A land that's good for agriculture with the Lord's blessing, that lets us eat every day. Verse 4, Shema. Everybody say Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. That word here is a command form. It's not a suggestion. The word here carries with it the requirement to obey. The way to say obey in biblical Hebrew is Shema B'Kol. Hear my voice. The Lord our God. The Lord there, that's the Tetragrammaton, our God. The Lord is one. What does that mean? It means a couple things. One, there's only one God. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of all people. There's not another. And the second is, there's only one God. Let's look at Zechariah 14.9. Who returns in Zechariah 14 to end the battle of Armageddon? Is it our Messiah, Yeshua? I didn't hear an answer. Yes, yes it is. Verse 9 says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. You see how the word Lord spelled? That's the tetragrammaton. Lord shall be king over all the earth. Who's king over all the earth? Yeshua. Messiah Yeshua is the Lord Yeshua. Yes, yes he is. That tetragrammaton, yod the Messiah. Hashem, Adonai. He is the Lord. In that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name one. Meaning what? All the nations of the earth, all those that remain in the millennial kingdom will know the Shema. That the Lord is one and his name one. There are not three gods around a campfire. There is not a divinic council. There is the Lord. Look at the last part of verse 5. In my Bible, it's separated from the rest of the verse says, thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Who do they mean by the Lord my God? That's our Messiah, Yeshua. Is Yeshua God? John 1, 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's go to John chapter 10. I love John chapter 10. Of course, I love the whole Bible. So it's not helpful. John 10, verse 30. This takes place at the Feast of Dedication, which is another way of saying Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Verse 30. I and my Father are one. Did they understand what that meant? Look at verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Look at verse 33. The Jews answered him saying, For good work we do not stone you, but for blaspheming, because you being a man, make yourself God. What did they understand verse 30 to mean? I and my father are one. 
but that he is God from all eternity. And they were going to stone him saying, you're wrong. Who was wrong? They were. Go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Verse 29. After being asked, which is the first commandment of all? Yeshua answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How's that a commandment? That word here is a commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. What do we call verse 30? That's the Ve'ahavta. So the Shema and the Ve'ahavta in God's eyes are one commandment. So does he suggest we might love the Lord our God if we want to? Or are we commanded to love the Lord our God? And of course, what does it mean? What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Where do you read that in scripture? That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. See the word Lord, that's the tetragrammaton. The one that in Zechariah 14 we learn is our Messiah Yeshua. That the Lord himself is God, there is none other besides him. How do you say, there is none other? Everybody say, ain owed. Ain owed. There is no other. I could be wrong, but to me, the word ain from Hebrew is where we get ain't down here in the south. <laughs> ain't none other. Yeah, okay. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. About five more minutes. Isaiah chapter 45. Let's look at verse 6. We'll start in 5. Got to start in 5. I am the Lord and there is what? Ain O. There is no other. There is no God besides me. So the Tetragrammaton, the Lord, Adonai Hashem, that is God. The same one that in Zechariah 14 is our Messiah Yeshua. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, that is from east to west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. Who did that? Our Messiah Yeshua, according to John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Same chapter, Isaiah 45. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. 
Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Mm. Is that powerful or what? So let's look at chapter 46 of Isaiah. Probably the same page for most of us. Verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And then what does God do for the rest of Isaiah? He tells us eternity all the way up to the new heavens and the new earth. Wait. Yes, ma'am. In my translation, it says, For I'm El, and then it says there's no one else, and then it says Elohim, there's no one like Right, El and Elohim are both terms for God. When he uses El, it means that's singular, there is no other. When he uses Elohim, it's talking about the wholeness, the fullness of God. He uses Elohim oftentimes because that's the same word for the pagan gods. So the way you can tell whether it's talking about the Lord our God or the pagan gods is are the verbs and adjectives plural or singular? In Genesis 1 1, it says, Bereshit, in the beginning, bara created, Elohim, God, the heavens and the earth. Elohim is plural, bara is singular. So he says, There was no other one but me. Those pagan gods can, well, sit on it. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. The Ve'ahavta, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's not actually strength. What is it? Mike? No. The word is ma'od. Ma'od is an adverb. It means very. Very. As in very good. So I look at it as your increase. What did God require them to tithe? Their increase. When it says with all your heart, that means all your actions should be directed to him. With all your soul means even if it costs you your very life. What will happen in the tribulation period for all those false Messiah and get his hands on who profess faith in God? He will put them to death. He'll behead them. Should you, when he takes you into the guillotine, say, Oh, I, I was wrong. I renounce Messiah. I give up any faith in him. No. Your earthly life is but a moment. Eternity is for how long? Forever. 
Go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 38. After being asked, Teacher, which is a great commandment of the law, Yeshua said to me, Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The reason it says mind here and other places, it says other things, is they're trying to figure out what your very means. So that one's a little tougher. So he says, this is the first and great commandment, but I thought the Shema was the first and great commandment. Remember, the Vehapta is part of the Shema. They're inseparable. Verse 38 says, this is the first and great commandment. The second is like, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself is from Leviticus 19. The Shema and Ve'ahavta are from Deuteronomy. Which of those are in the Ten Commandments? Neither of them, and yet they're the greatest commandments in the law, according to our Messiah. Let's look also at John 14, 15. If you're going to love him with all your heart... What does that mean to love the Lord? John 14, 15. If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. And you know what? We've run out of time. We'll have to pick up next week, Lord willing, in 1 John chapter 5. So let's close in prayer.